out there and welcome back to the GameCockScoop.com podcast, the official podcast of GameCockScoop.com on Rivals. And Happy New Year. It's 2024 officially and the portal's officially closed for a little while, um, which is good for my sanity. <laughs> Just yeah. a lot of uh, trying to keep up um, with rumors and, and whether or not they have any validity to them and all that stuff. We are going to talk about a couple of Gamecock last second portal additions um and then also who all is expected on campus throughout this week and into the weekend um many of which i guess are sort of immediate uh replacement candidates uh for some of those additions um we also had our first but we think probably not last uh coach to um exit from the staff so montario hardesty um I did. I, I know you reached out to to people uh, at the university, and they said it wasn't official yet. But by all means, it's it's official. Um, we didn't get an official word on like the the language that they used as far as firing or not or or whatever. But he was like, oh, um, he will be pursuing other opportunities elsewhere, or whatever. Um, you know, it's it's tough. You just brought in a really nice running back portal class. You have to think that he was at least part of some of those conversations. Uh, so, you know, some nice parting gifts there. Um, but when you look back last year, uh, South Carolina had the worst running statistics in the SEC pretty much across the board. Um, maybe to some degree, a little bit of a sacrificial lamb or, or whatever, but uh, you know, that that's the way it is. Um, as far as potential replacements, um, we don't have a full hop board put together or anything, um, but I know we both were texting yesterday and the first name that you mentioned and, and something that kind of makes a lot of sense, I think, is uh, Jimmy Smith from Arkansas, who obviously already has ties uh, to Rocket Sanders. We'll see uh, if there's there's anything there, but, um, you know, that, that would make sense. And I think that would be a good addition if that did come to pass. Jimmy Smith, um, for those who don't know, and why would you, is a 12-year Atlanta area high school coach veteran before he went out to Arkansas. Um, so obviously beyond the Rocket connection, beyond the connection with some other members of the staff, Dowell Loggins, obviously, um, he it's a recruiting tool there. He's been around Atlanta a while. He's got a lot of relationships in that area. And that's obviously a very important piece of recruiting for any SEC team, but especially South Carolina. He's also originally from South Carolina, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I saw an interview of him kind of talking about that, that South Carolina is in his blood or, or whatever. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see how that all that all plays out. Um, as far as those portal additions I hinted at, um, Pup Howard and Cam Sandlin are the two class of 2023 guys that entered the portal. And then right literally seconds before we went, went live here, um, we got word that Pup Howard uh, is going to Florida, which was kind of, I, I hinted that on the insiders forum whenever I first posted, he wanted to be closer to home. Florida almost flipped him actually uh, during the process. Um, he and what's the uh, safety that left? Um, when oh, they flipped him like August of last year. Yeah. But then he came back anyway. Uh, he, they went down on a recruiting trip together. They almost both flipped. South Carolina was able to hold, hold on to Pup. Um, I don't. I, I can go more into detail later, but there's still, I think, some more news to be uh, revealed surrounding all of it. But let's just say he he wanted to be closer to home, uh, and Florida is easy access there. Um, mm -hmm. And like I said, he was their number two, or 
he they finished second for him uh, in his original recruitment. So makes a lot of sense there. Obviously hurts South Carolina, but um, and we'll get into this in just a second. Um, there's three different linebackers at least um, that are expected to be on campus in the next uh, you know 48 to 72 hours. Um, several of which I think at least where Pup Howard was going to be as a sophomore are already ahead of that schedule. Um, now maybe he had bigger upside or whatever. I don't know if we can figure that out, but, uh, as far as immediate, um, contributions to the 2024 season, I think if you land two, one, two, three of these guys, uh, you're going to be in good shape. There is an immediate contribution to be had there for sure. I think the bigger thing when you talk about losing pup and I know people talk, Oh, you know, you're losing, you know, one of your cornerstones to last class. He was the first one there with the Gator Bowl practices. He seemed like he really wanted to be there. All that's true. I think the bigger problem, for lack of a better term right now, is you've got your two linebackers coming in this freshman class. You've got Fred Johnson and Wendell Gregory. You have three linebackers who are going to be in their last year of eligibility with Debo Williams, Bam Martin, Scott, and uh, Mo Kaba, if he can get healthy off his second ACL tear. But that room kind of in between is pretty light right now. Um, I think you're kind of counting on Pup and Stone Blanton, who we haven't mentioned yet, but he's in the portal since we last recorded. Um, Pup and Stone Blanton to kind of bridge that gap to maybe some of your younger linebackers, and you don't have that right now. Um, I think you're going to have to kind of reset that room the way you did with the running back room, where you didn't really have anybody – you got to reset the scholarship chart a little bit where you feel like you have, okay, this guy's got one year left. This guy's got two. Like we have kind of rotating bodies there now. Cause right now, like I know it's really early and things change on a dive, but who's your 2025 linebackers other than Fred Johnson and Wendell Gregory at all. Well, well and, and you speak about that distribution uh, kind of helps that you have a sophomore, a junior and a senior coming in this week. So let me go ahead and get to those yeah. names and then we can, uh, talk about it a little further, but I agree. I, and I think they're trying to do something similar with the offensive line where you have a talented young group, but you need to like kind of fill in that veteran presence. Um, so first up, you got Demetrius Knight, uh, linebacker from Charlotte. He's a junior. Um, um, let me make sure I'm not getting my wires crossed. He played at uh, Georgia, Georgia Tech. Tech originally, but um it's kind of, it kind of makes sense that it took him a while to get his trajectory going. So he started off as a quarterback uh, in high school, got recruited to Georgia Tech as a dual threat quarterback, um, you know, sort of transitioned positions in college, although he did play some uh, safety in high school um, from what I recall. But um, then, you know, never really fully broke through at Georgia Tech, but then had a huge season at Charlotte this past year um obviously lower level down all that sort of stuff but for those of you that might immediately think well if he couldn't make it a Georgia Tech why would he be useful for us it, he had like a little bit of a twisted path I guess to to get to the production that he he and saw last year last year at Charlotte yeah and I think that 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 translates just fine um as far as the other two guys that are expected to be in starting I think the first guy Bengali Kamara is a senior out of Pittsburgh um I think he's expected today. And then Manny Powell out of Arkansas, who is a sophomore, is expected in uh, uh, the later part of the weekend. So really, all three of those guys, I think you have a decent shot with um, based on some connections and based on, uh, I guess, who you're competing with and, and all those sorts of things. But I, I, it wouldn't surprise me at all if you get at least two of them. And I, 
if you get two of those three, I think immediately your linebacker room feels pretty all right with those guys you mentioned. Um, ben Martin, Scott, uh, Debo, Debo Williams, and Mo Kaba, assuming that he can have a healthy season, uh, plus two of those guys. And then you got some really talented freshmen coming in too. Yep. I think that's probably about the way to set it up. The other thing is too, I think you just keep an eye on it as these linebackers roll in and out of campus and maybe some start committing is what does that mean scheme wise? Uh, we talked a lot about four, two, five versus three, three, five in the second half of last season, but your linebackers are kind of where that difference is. Uh, Bam Martin Scott obviously played a lot more in the three, three, five down the stretch last year. Um, just kind of look at who's here, who's coming back, and you can kind of maybe start to build out in your head where how they might want to start looking at the defense next year from a scheme perspective as much as anything as personnel. Yeah, so uh, obviously we none of those guys are officially committed at the moment, so we can't project too far forward just yet, but maybe by next week you everyone feels a lot better uh, about that room, even though you did lose, like you said, um, sort of a freshman leader, I guess, uh, in Pup Howard, Pup Howard and, and a guy with a lot of upside. I, w- I won't lie. I think it won't surprise me if he, if he does thrive in a year or two at Florida. Um, when you look at other positions that they've been targeting in the portal, we'll continue to target in the portal. Obviously, wide, receive, wide receiver comes to mind. Um, we talked about how Jade McGowan ended up ultimately flipping his commitment to Boston College. Uh, we talked about how in some ways that was NIL related, but not so much that like South Carolina couldn't afford him more that they were unwilling to pay what I guess Boston College was willing to pay. So uh, anyway, um, a couple more wide receivers on campus this in the next couple of days. Elijah Surratt uh, is a wide receiver. Oh, man, James I got Madison. My, there, there we go. <laughs> my cards are, are messed up over here. Uh, I got Gage Lavardian, who is Miami, Ohio. Miami, Ohio. And then Jabre Barber out of Troy. Let's see, oh, and Amari Huggins Bruce out of Louisville. And Amari Huggins Bruce uh, is originally from South Carolina. He's a Dylan guy. Now, still with those guys, I don't know that you consider any of them that alpha wide receiver. Um, but you know, I think your strategy at this point is fill it out with role players, which, you know, uh, some of them have varying levels of upside. Amari Huggins Bruce is who I've looked into the most. Um, he had around 300 to 400 yards receiving with Louisville every year, has some explosiveness, um, probably fills that sort of Amari and Brown, Jade McGowan sort of uh, skill set. Um, and then, yeah, the, the other two are were sort of alpha receivers, but at a lower level. So you got to see if that translates um, in the SEC. But Either way, I think any of those guys would 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 be good ads, um, but you're still probably keeping an eye, maybe holding some money uh, for a bigger name than that down the stretch. Yeah, and I think you can kind of start to see a pattern or maybe an archetype of what they're kind of looking for receiver-wise in the portal. Obviously, we haven't mentioned it, but you already got Jared Brown in there. We talked about that like a month ago, but on this show, we haven't mentioned it. That's a Kind of similar guy to maybe a, a barber or a Surratt, um, just term Sunbelt guy, explosive down the field, um, has some experience playing on special teams, which I know um, the Miami, Ohio kid was a kick returner there too. That's a role you're going to have to fill next year with Leggett gone. Punt returner is a role you're going to have to fill next year, although you did have Jalen Kilgore kind of at the end of last year there. Um, I think you're seeing clearly kind of what they want, who they're targeting, um, just in terms of where they're pulling players from, or trying to pull players from, I should say and what those skill sets look like. And you're you're right. You're not replacing Xavier Leggett. 
you're not replacing what you thought Juice Wells was going to be or what he was in 22. Um, you're trying to tape this together with some combination of portal receivers, Tyshawn Russell, Nick Harbour, and then maybe some of your freshmen who didn't play a lot last year, an Elijah Caldwell or a CJ Adams can elevate. Yeah, and you, it's possible that like DeBron Gatling gets on the field pretty early. Um, he had a decent game yesterday in the Under Armour game, which we'll talk a little bit more about here in a minute. Um, and honestly, if you just have that level of depth, you might be okay. You just maybe you don't have that alpha guy and you just spread it around um, and and make it work that way. And I think that that can work. Um, but obviously, you'd like to have someone step up. Also, I, I'm not guaranteeing that Surratt or Jared Brown or someone like not not that they have Surratt yet, but like someone like that can't translate their game to the next level. We saw that with um, Juice Wells going from JMU uh, up to the SEC. It's just hard to project that until you see it on the field. Yeah, I think that's kind of I would caution against that too. I think it's very easy to make the Juice Wells jump specifically when you look talk about Surratt, just because obviously they're coming from the same school if he ends up here. Um, it's not apples to apples. It just doesn't work that way. Right. Um, we also know that they're still looking for a quarterback, but we've talked about the struggles of looking for a quarterback that uh, is okay with the idea that they're coming in to be the backup, basically, or um, at the very least coming in to compete with Lenora Sellers instead of being handed the keys or whatever. Um, one intriguing name that I that I think is supposed to visit this weekend, although I'm still trying to get, get word on the exact day, um, is FSU quarterback Tate Rotomaker, Rotomaker. Um, I think that that, you know, assuming that he's willing uh, to to come in and be, you know, that number two or whatever, that would make a lot of sense. And that's kind of the role uh, that he played at FSU. Um, again, though, is he thinking that, you know, he was one of the guys that filled in uh, for Jordan Travis? Yeah, exactly. Um, is he thinking that 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 he showed enough there that, um, you know, he deserves a starting role somewhere else and uh, that'll kind of rule out South Carolina. I don't know yet, but, but that's an intriguing name uh, and one that I think would be kind of mutually beneficial for everyone. Um, and then of course, offensive line, like we said, very similar uh, situation to the linebacker room where you have a lot of young talent, but you're uh, still trying to fill in the gaps between um, got two names to mention there uh, as far as visitors this weekend. One is Ruben Unige, I think that's how you say it, Houston. out of Houston. Um, big guy. He's already 6'6", 300 plus. Um, and then another really interesting name, I think, uh, is Torricelli Simpkins. It's another lower level player in North Carolina Central, but he, I mean, elite at the lower level. He was named the 2023 Mid-Eastern Athletic uh, Conference Offensive line of, Lineman of the Year last year. He's played a lot of center, which is obviously a position of need for depth. Um, yeah, so I, I think he's a really, really, really interesting name that was on campus yesterday. So, uh, for those of you that would like to get updates on on who's where and uh, who's visiting when and all those sorts of things, uh, the Insiders Forum on GameCastScoop.com, all that information much sooner than waiting on the once a week podcast to hear who I'm talking about. Um, any of those names kind of stand out or have you heard much about any of them? I think kind of just the general point 
offensive line, I'll start there. I think if you learned anything last season, if you're a fan of this team, if you cover this team, if whatever, you cannot have enough offensive linemen. I know that sounds so cliche. It sounds like we talk about in the spring. Like you can't have enough pitchers. They all get hurt in baseball. But really, you saw what happened last year. You saw more than half the scholarship linemen get hurt at different points throughout the year. You saw how many different combinations they had to use. Um, and, yes, I think you feel a lot better about that situation right now after – Trovon Bob played as well as he did. Tree Babalade played as well as he did. And these three offensive linemen, four starting up, you're bringing in in this 2024 class. Um, plus, you know, you got Vershawn Lee back. You got Ja'Kai Moore back. Tyshawn Wanamaker, some older depth there. Let me talk about the other positions. But you can't have enough bodies there. You can't have enough experience there. Um, I think people would – those are those two guys who named the type of signings people would look at and kind of easily dismiss or say they can't – move the ceiling in 2024 maybe not but they raise your floor just having more offensive line depth yeah and also i think when you think of a guy coming from north carolina a t you might have flashbacks to like a sydney fugar or something uh, who probably wasn't ready for a step up to the sec but um i would say simpkins is a different level uh and has had a different level of success um at that lower level more like maybe even like mario anderson right who was just dominating at that lower Nick level. Bergilo. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I do think that Simpkins could come in and if not start, be on the two deep immediately. Um, and, and he, he kind of fills that role uh, that we're talking about as, as the stopgap. I will see. He had a 2020 year, which doesn't count. I think he has one year of eligibility played. left. Yeah, exactly. That's what, what it's, and, and a red shirt year if he needs it. But, two. Okay. Then. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so lots of exciting portal things going on. Obviously, there was a welcome home yesterday from Beamer uh, that has yet to be revealed. Probably safe to say we just mentioned his name somewhere in that list. In the last 15 uh, minutes. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I fully expect there to be several more welcome homes before the weekend's over, which makes our job nice and fun. Um, I'm a little like me and uh, my wife are a little sick or whatever, so it's fine. I'm just gonna be sitting in front of the computer, ready to go all weekend. Um, anyway, let's uh, talk a little basketball, shall we? We're in the heat of basketball season. SEC play opens for both the men's and women's uh, in the coming days. Women start tonight, and men have their first game on Saturday. Nationally um, any... televised, by the way, a CBS broadcast at the Colonial Life Arena. When was the last time that happened for the men's team? Yeah, I mean, they're off to a great start. Uh, I was kind of – do you want to go men or women first? Uh, there's been a couple uh, games. We can start with women because they're playing tonight, but I definitely want to get to both. Okay. So since we last talked, um, the women have only had one game. Uh, we, we took a week off uh, for the holidays. Hope, hope you did too. Um, <laughs> but the, the women did get one game in on the 30th against East Carolina, in which they – dominated uh thoroughly you were there right i did go up there uh nice little uh day trip saw the site of shane beamer's first fbs win across the street um stadium was open by the way if you've heard ecu they don't they just don't lock things there stadium was open just walked in just a thing cool. yeah anyway um it's funny you feel like the, you talk about this women's team you talk about all the things they do well and there's always just the one little thing you want to see them do better and it's kind of a moving target like we talked about maybe the depth earlier in the year okay they're deeper than we thought they play better defense okay they play better defense than we thought turnovers that seems to be corrected the last couple of games well now we're on to free throws uh they missed i think 16 free throws in east carolina 
Um, that's going to come with a territory when you're a team this big, this physical. You're going to draw a lot of fouls. Um, you lost your two best free throw shooters off last year's team to graduation. Um, Don's talked about how they're kind of trying to simulate free throws when they're tired. Not so much that like you can simulate game pressure, but you can do a drill in practice and then take free throws and do another drill and then do free throws. He's kind of do free throws when you're winded, like you would be in a game, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, they are at Florida tonight. Florida's nine and three in non-con decent record. Definitely better than last year. They were pretty banged up last year. Um, it's a road game in conference. It's kind of your first chance to see what that looks like. I certainly would expect South Carolina to win, but um, it's the first chance for a pretty young team to go on the road in conference play. So I keep an eye on tonight. Yeah, I was kind of looking ahead. Also, uh, on that note about them missing uh, free throws, who had it on their bingo card that East Carolina would hold them to their second uh, lowest <laughs> scoring output for, of the year. Um, they scored 65 against North Carolina, but then 73 against East Carolina. Of course, they still won by nearly 40 points, so I guess it's okay. <laughs> but, they will not be back in the state of North Carolina this year for anybody who was wondering. That's two trips up there that have gone pretty low scoring. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we look at it, the SEC schedule. So today they open with Florida. That's at seven Eastern for those of you watching at home. Um, and really, you look at these first five SEC games. So uh, Florida, Mississippi State, Missouri, Kentucky, Texas A&M. Um, yes, there could be some challenges there, but also you kind of feel like it's a quarter of the night. What? We're building the three weeks, three weeks from tonight in Baton Rouge. Yeah, exactly. It feels like it's a ramp up to that LSU game on the 25th. Um, but, you know, obviously still some lessons to be learned. And if you play sloppy, any of those teams could uh, knock you off. Especially on the road. Uh, three of those first five are on the road. Um, you went to Mizzou two years ago and won the national title. That was your only regular season loss was at Missouri. Um, like I said, at Florida tonight. AM's playing a lot better. They got some votes in the top 25 poll this week. Um, I think the road games are the ones to watch there. Um, yeah, we'll talk about it over the next couple of weeks, but how this team handles road games, responses, conference games, kind of different things they're going to see. Um, and we don't really know how good the SEC is yet either. Like, I feel like we're going to talk about the men's side here in a sec, and the SEC's loaded. I think we're pretty confident that this is like a seven or eight bid league in the men's side. I don't really know if that's the case for the women's. Um, and you're going to start seeing where the depth of the conference actually is one way or another. My prediction is tonight uh, at least seven different Gamecocks score seven points because that usually happens. Okay, that's oddly specific. How <laughs> many just... will this a free throw, though, is the question. Mm, maybe nine. Nine? <laughs> <laughs> just going around. It's like a plague. Everybody's getting this a free throw tonight. Um, yeah, I mean, you get a lot of opportunities, I guess. But no, I was go. just like. I was looking at the uh, box score from. Oh, where did it go? I lost it. Uh, I was East looking Carolina. at the box score from East Carolina, and you had Chloe Kitts at seven, Cardoso at twelve, Pow Pow at nine, Full Wiley at twelve, Fagan at nine, Ashley Watkins at eleven. So that's six. Um, I think you can get one more tonight okay. if you have a little bit better shooting game. Um, and if it happens tonight, I'll um, run on the thread tonight. Come hang out with me. Um, if that happens, you'll hear it here first. We can link back to the podcast. There you go. Um, all right. So let's talk a little men's as well. So since we last spoke, they might have had two games. I can't remember if they played Elon before 
uh, our break recorded or not. the morning of the Elon game. That sounds about right. So handled Split Elon team. pretty well. Um, and then followed that up with probably, was it their best offensive performance of the year? Yeah, 94 points um, against Florida A&M. Really dominated that one from wire to wire. They went on a 36-2 to two run at one point, I believe. <laughs> That'll win you um, most games. going to go ahead and say it. Yeah, uh, that that's a that's a good, especially going into halftime, thirty to two. I think it was. Um, so yeah, I mean, obviously, A and M not a very good team. They were like two and eight heading into that game, but a nice uh, warm up to see everyone fi- firing all cil- on all cylinders. And you saw a big game from freshman Morris Ugasuk, um, which I thought was um, encouraging to see as you're heading into SEC play. And I think maybe that's the story for the men's team at the moment is when things are going well, which mostly they have been going well uh, on a 12 and one start, granted, not a ton of tests in that in that 12 and one start. Um, there, there are multiple people that can kind of carry you. Right. So in the A&M game, you had Stute with 16 points, uh, BJ Mack with nine, Michi Johnson with 11, Ugasuk with 11. Uh, Colin Murray Boyles also had a big game, another freshman with 17, and Benjamin Bozeman Verdonk with 10, Zachary Davis with nine. A lot of people scored points. Um, but throughout the, the whole stretch run, really, we've seen a lot of those names step up with the exception of the two freshmen. So if you get those involved too, I mean, you, you really feel like you have, I don't know, seven different guys that can score on any given night. Yeah, I kind of, when you start turning the page here to conference play, I kind of look at Saturday as almost a blank slate. Obviously, that's conference play, sure, but I don't really know what to expect. Maybe it's the better way to put that. Okay, you're 12 and one. You're playing Mississippi State, who's 11 and two, but they've also not played a strong Don Con. Um, Mississippi State's best player, Tolo Smith, missed most of the year. He just got back the other day. He's only played in one game, 19 minutes. How healthy is he? How much can he, you know, he obviously is a game changer for them. He scored 19 in that one game he played, but. How ready is he to contribute? Um, what are the minutes rotations look like? Kind of how much does Lamont trust those freshmen to play in a conference game versus Florida A&M or Elon? We don't have an answer to that because they haven't had one yet. Um, what does this shooting kind of new identity look like in a conference game? We don't know. Um, I really don't know what to expect Saturday. I think Mississippi State and South Carolina are both both obviously pretty good, but we don't know how good for either team. And they're both kind of flying blind into this game. And we're going to see how that goes. Yeah, no, I definitely think it's going to be a really important test. Probably, I mean, definitely the biggest one uh, since the Clemson game, which obviously you you didn't quite pass, but they continue to win. So that loss looks even better if a loss can look good. Um, So you look at your first five games on the slate for the SEC schedule for the men. They have Mississippi State at home. They go to Alabama. They go to Missouri. Have Georgia at home. Go to Arkansas before Kentucky comes to town. What do you What do you think needs to happen in that five game stretch to kind of feel good um, heading into that Kentucky game? Not necessarily to win, but to just feel like you're sort of on track. Uh, if we say the goal is to finish 500 or so in the conference, is I'm just I'm just. I'm just kind of trying to is two and three or maybe three and two fair. Like I I don't, it's really hard to know going into Saturday just because I think that that game's such a, a blind test for both teams, but you got two road games next week. All right. I would always say just kind of on principle, try to split two road games in the league. 
Alabama and Mizzou were both tournament teams last year, but they've both struggled this year. Maybe you catch one of them. Georgia at home, that's a game you won last year. You'd like to think you'd win it again. Arkansas on the road is always going to be a really tough place to play. Um, I'd say if you really want to like talk about the tournament and feel real about that, three and two in these five, if you want to at least feel like things are on track and you might be able to steal something later and you're just not totally falling off, you need at least two and three. I think if you're if you're one and four going to that Kentucky game, which I believe they have Tennessee after Kentucky, right? Or like uh, it's another Missouri game and then Tennessee. Mizzou. Okay, but Kentucky and Tennessee, two of those next three after those first five, were both probably the two best teams in the league. Like if you're one and four going into that, it starts to get late pretty early. Um, so at least two and three, I think, of these five, and probably three and two realistically, if you really want to start talking tournament. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking too. Uh, you beat Mississippi State and Georgia, which feel winnable, but again, hard to really two tell. Two games there. At, yeah, at home, and then uh, get one of those road games. Uh, probably either Alabama or Missouri. I wouldn't project them to go on the road to Arkansas and win, obviously. Um, but anyway, yeah, I think if you do that, you end up three and two. You probably feel good, and two and three, you're not freaking out. You're feeling fine. That's probably a good way to put it. You got to get to a point where you're not freaking out going to that Kentucky, Tennessee, and that's the whole thing. Like I know you, you brought up those first five because that's where we are now, but. This is a very front-loaded SEC schedule. If you just look at February on paper, at least is a lot lighter than January. I know they get LSU in February. They get Vanderbilt in February. They get kind of the the they get Georgia again in February. Kind of the bottom part of the league. Um, you got to survive January. Um, and to me, surviving January starts with a two and three or a three and two in these first five. Yeah, really down the stretch, your big test is March sixth at Tennessee, Tennessee yeah. or at home against Tennessee. Um, but beyond that, everything seems right. like it's it, it could be uh, within reach. But you again, just can't get, you can't get there like one and seven. You gotta yeah. you gotta find a few wins in January to at least keep the ship afloat. Definitely, um, and I think I think doable based on what we've seen thus far, especially when they've stepped up the competition against uh, Clemson, Notre Dame. That win looks less good than it once did. Uh, Grand Canyon, I think, is still a pretty good team. Mm -hmm. So, Virginia Tech, I think, still a solid win. Yeah, exactly. Um, either way, I mean, more excitement around this program than there was this time last year <laughs> by a <laughs> wide margin. The fact that we're doing math here, like, all right, how many wins could create a bubble conversation? How many of those non-con wins would help you in a bubble? Like, the fact that we're doing math here, I think, kind of says the whole thing. Yeah, no, I distinctly remember sort of texting uh, during games last year and being like, man, well, we know what this, how this is going to turn out, but I guess we'll, uh, <laughs> I guess we'll find something to talk about anyway. So it's it's fun to actually talk about something real. Um, anything that we didn't cover today that you wanted to get to in football or basketball or anything? I think that about covers it. Um, keep it locked on Gamecock Scoop. Obviously, a huge football weekend with visitors and portal uh, women tonight. I'll have that. Lamont Paris talks in a few hours to preview the SEC schedule. Keep an eye on Twitter, I guess, if there's anything interesting there. Um, yeah, busy weekend. CLA, two home games this weekend. And it's January. Happy New Year, everybody. <laughs> yeah, I guess the only other thing I have to add is I forgot to talk about the Under Armour game. I watched the oh, first yeah. half of that uh, yesterday. Dylan Stewart looked as advertised, um, had a strip sack, um, had a couple of batted down passes where the ball got out quick. He had that recognition, got his hands up. Um, made a play happen uh the the strip sack came against a five-star offensive tackle and jordan seaton um 
yeah, he looks good. Obviously, there's going to be a learning curve coming to the SEC, but he's already got a couple of moves in the in the toolbox uh, that will be effective. And I think uh, coach him up and and teach him a couple more. And he's he's gonna. I, I think he'll make an impact as early as this season on passing downs, um, and then hopefully you can you know build out from there. Um, quarterback uh, Dante Reno had a bit of a rough outing. Um, I only saw again the first half, but he threw a pick six on his first drive, which was tough. Um, although he wasn't the only one to throw a pick six on his team, uh, Ethan Grunkemeyer also did. So, I mean, the team uh, Ice or whatever, which was the opposite team of most of the South Carolina players, uh, was definitely loaded in a way that that the Fire team was not. Um, I don't know if I, I I don't know who who went into I guess uh, trying to balance those teams out, but they didn't do a great job. Um, but anyway, Reno didn't have a great day, but also his offensive line for that All Star team, which I feel like is probably one of the toughest things to coach up in a week, um, did not protect very well either. Um, so you know, take it with a grain of salt. Got another uh, blank in the name, but all that I'll be at men's basketball Saturday. But there's another All Star game with some South Carolina players. The other one Saturday, right? Yeah, the Army All-American game. I think that's it, yeah. Yeah, uh, we'll do a little bit of a, a preview on that too. Um, but yeah, if you want to see some of my game thoughts, thoughts from yesterday, they're on the Insiders Forum, at least through the first half. And uh, oh, Michael Smith, tight end, caught, caught a two-point two conversion. conversion right? Yeah, uh, And like I said, DeBron Cat- Gatling had about a 20-yard uh, catch uh, near the end of the first half. The All-American Bowl. I just looked it up for all American Bowl. Yeah, yeah. Saturday on NBC. Yeah. Um, so yeah, several game clocks there. Daniel Hill is going to announce his commitment there. Um, it's not going to be South Carolina. Most likely like most likely. Yeah. Um, that's all. <laughs> He's already signed his, his, uh, letter to wherever he just has been keeping it, uh, under wraps. So there are people out there that know where, he's at um anyway uh we will be back next week uh keep it locked on gamecockscoop.com in the meantime and we'll see you later